When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. This is the Project Dublin Podcast, presented by Onyx Hunt. I'm your host, Nick Larson. This episode of the show, we talk pheasants forever, quail forever, and CZ shotguns with Matt Harding and Zach Hine. Welcome to the show for episode number 92. Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Download the Hunt app from the iTunes or Google Play Store today. Know where you stand with Onyx Hunt. 
and by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Out in the field, how you prepare determines how you'll perform. With balanced fat and protein to support peak condition in your bird dog, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food enhances strength, energy, and endurance. When that tailgate finally drops, you and your dogs are ready for anything. Strong, focused, ready for anything. That is a Yukonuba dog. And by Gumleaf USA, high-quality, handcrafted, premium rubber boots that stand the test of time. Head over to gumleafusa.com, newly designed website. Get in touch with the folks at Gumleaf. Find the right boot for you and use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% from gumleafusa.com. And by CZ USA Shotguns. Shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind. CZ makes a shotgun for you from the Bob White Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight Wing Shooter Elite over and unders. CZ USA has got you covered. Find out more about all of their shotguns by visiting cz-usa.com. And by Turnbull Restoration Company, the most recognized name in antique and vintage firearm restoration, period correct metal finishes, and custom reproductions of iconic firearms. Turnbull has been dedicated to the faithful and accurate restoration of classic American shotguns, rifles, and handguns for over 35 years. Find out more about them by visiting TurnbullRestoration.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Kennels built to last a lifetime. One piece, rotomole design, frame steel door. Spent a couple days hanging out with Greg Cronkite and his wife, owners of Dakota 283, in their booth at Pheasant Fest. Love hanging out with those two, and they make excellent, excellent dog kennels. Everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Head over to dakota283.com today. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Eric from Seattle. Eric left us a review in the iTunes podcast app, and for that, we thank him. Project Upland t-shirt headed his way soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is leave us a rating or a review in the podcast app. We love those. Subscribe to the podcast post. Share the podcast. Send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We'd love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, February's almost over, which means the inaugural Public Grouse film tour is nearing its completion. There's been a lot of great events across the country so far during the month of February. There are a few more to go, and rumor has it there may be some more in the very near future. Stay tuned for more details on that. Pheasant Fest 2020 is a wrap. Myself, along with a bunch of other folks from the Project Upland team, and a ton more awesome people in the upland hunting conservation world were all in minneapolis last weekend it was such a great time the energy there was phenomenal the vibe was excellent lots of cool stuff going on and a ton of great people and organizations coming together to celebrate upland birds bird dogs conservation all in the name of pheasants forever and quill forever it really was an awesome time i'm already looking forward to next year pheasant fest 2021 in sioux falls south dakota we will see you there All right, let's get into today's episode. This episode was recorded while I was at Pheasant Fest. I sat down with two friends of the Project Upland community, and they happen to represent two organizations that are more than likely familiar to most people listening to this podcast. Matt Harding, the Western rep of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, along with Zach Hine, Marketing and Communications Manager of CZ USA. As you can imagine, we talk extensively about Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, along with CZ Shotguns, and we blend it all together in a mix of general 
Upland Bird Hunting Conversation. Had a great time talking with these two individuals. Hope you enjoy this one. Let's jump into today's episode and welcome into the conversation and onto the Project Upland Podcast, Matt Harding of Pheasants Forever and Zach Hine of CZ USA. Well, here we go. Project Upland Podcast. Welcome back to another episode, faithful listeners. We are at Pheasant Fest in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's the last day. It's been a long weekend. It's been an excellent weekend. And I'm here with a couple of friends of Project Upland and going to have a conversation today about uh, maybe some of the things that we saw and did this weekend. And we'll talk a little bird hunting and few interesting topics that we were just ripping on a little bit but i'm gonna start to my left how's it going matt how's it going thanks for having me you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do while you're here um cool so yeah my name is matt harding um i live in reno nevada and i work for pheasants forever as a western regional rep how long you been the rep now uh about a year and a half year and a half how's it going so far so good yeah, yeah it's, it's really cool <laughs> you get to work with a lot of passionate people and you know work, work within the the wing shooting industry and, yep. um, you know, effectively do, do my part and help others do their part to kind of preserve what we love. Yeah. How many chapters? Uh, it's, it's around 20, I guess in okay. total. Um, it's always changing. Yep. Um, but yeah, it's quite a lot and I, I just took on California as part of my region. So yep. things are, are constantly changing. I think it's pretty well understood that, you know, pheasants forever, AKA the habitat organization, the work that they do benefits a lot of wildlife. You know, it's, it's beyond pheasants. It's beyond quail. The West isn't, maybe I'm wrong, but it's not typically thought of as like primary pheasant range. Do, do you guys identify as like more like quail forever territory or is that not even a thing? Do you just, are you, are you just the habitat organization? Well, I mean, at the base of it, yeah, we are the habitat organization yep. and we're not just there for pheasants and quail. We're there for all types of wildlife. Uh, in my region specifically, I'd say, um, you know, obviously the southern part of the region, Southern California specifically, yeah. um, there's a huge concentration of quail forever chapters. Whereas as you go further north into Oregon and Idaho, it's mostly PF. And so the chapters choose like that they're identifying. They, they, they choose exactly. Yeah. And I, and I've got a, a quail forever chapter, uh, up in Boise as well. So yeah. we've got PF and QF there, which is pretty cool. Gotcha. All right. And we are also joined by Mr. Zach Hine of CZ USA. How you doing, Zach? Doing all right. What doing do you do right. for CZ? Ah, man, I do a lot of little things, a lot of, lot of different stuff. I'm the marketing communications manager uh, at CZ, also the suppressor product manager. Uh, kind of, we're, we're kind of a, a smaller team as far as our marketing side. We kind of wear a lot of hats, but, uh, but yeah, I've been with CZ for eight years. Um, kind of started as a, I took a, took a job as an assistant and just to, to kind of change what I was doing. I was, a, I was in education for a long time and uh, just looking for a change and saw a part-time job and needed a, needed a break. Uh, and that was eight years ago, kind of. What was the part-time job exactly? Uh, I was a marketing assistant. Okay. They, they needed okay. somebody to just do paperwork and, yep. and coordinate all the guns going to riders and all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, just just the busy work that kind of bogs you down. And so was Dave your boss for that job? No, no. Okay. Uh, I, Dave and Jason were the guys who hired me. Okay. Uh, so I'm working for Jason, who's our VP of, of marketing nowadays. So, uh, so yeah, just kind of kind of grew with the company. I think we had 22 people when I started, and we are uh, 
four or five times at in our facility. And really? Then, yeah. Just in the last Wesson, eight years. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. We've, we've exploded. So we're, and we're about to explode yet again. Uh, we're, we're about to build a manufacturing facility down in Arkansas and we're going to have uh, 600 employees down there. So, wow. So, yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I feel like I've known of CZ guns for quite a while. I guess maybe it's just, maybe I didn't think about it in that way. Like, how long I've I've been aware of them, but I I didn't really know that you guys had grown so rapidly in the last Absolutely. You know, decade or so. Well, and it, it's kind of a kind of an interesting company because we have what you know it, they they tout it as the largest small arms factory in the world in the Czech Republic, yeah. and uh, eighteen hundred people working three shifts. I mean, it is it is an entire town built around making guns. Uh, it's just a really, really cool place. Um, and here in the U S we just basically started as the U S importer side. Yep. And so it just grew from there and we've, we've really, I mean, blossomed into assembly and manufacturer and we're making a lot of stuff on this side now. So, yep. so yeah, it's, uh, it's grown a ton in the last few years. Which are there, is there a line or a division as far as like which guns get get made in the check and which guns get made in the U.S. I imagine there is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so um, all of our rifles and pistols uh, start out as as made in Czech Republic. Uh, we've made the transition to U.S. manufacture here on the pistol side uh, with our P10 line. Uh, so that was really what jumped us in. But the, the thing that allowed us to even get to that point is assembly. So taking precursors, stuff that's built in the Czech Republic that we build into what it's going to become here. So it starts out as a pistol comes here, we build it into a carbine. Um, just basically navigating the intricacies of the ATF and import laws. And sure. It's easier to import a pistol uh, and meet points than it is to import a non-sporting rifle. So it, long story short, it it's just a, a dance and a lot of paperwork and a lot of understanding laws and finding ways to do things creative, creatively. Yeah. So. How easy is it to import bird guns? Not bad. It's gotten a lot tougher lately, though. Is it really? Absolutely. The uh, it used to be with sporting guns with a shotgun. Mm-hmm. If we had a new model, it was so easy to get an import permit for it. Nowadays, it's like a six, nine, twelve month wait. Wow. Just to get an import permit approved. So if we're going to do a different barrel length or a different name, uh, it is. I mean, it, it, there's no prime reason to us as to why it's changed like this but it's now the the weight process is just onerous so yeah so cz usa there's also i i heard this um in some conversation with dave miller cz is it cz usa field sports sports, right so that's that's the targeted towards uh, obviously the field sport tell us a little bit about that yeah so so we have I mean, the bulk of what CZUSA does, uh, the bulk of what we sell are pistols and, and uh, kind of sporting rifles, non-sporting rifles, uh, the stuff that's like a, uh, the Scorpion. Uh, we have a 9mm that's a pistol or a carbine. And, and the bulk of what we sell is, is pistols and, uh, you know, 223s and 9mm uh, carbines and, and large format pistols. So we have a really distinct audience there that isn't into hunting. (laughs) So, uh, they kind of get turned off by the hunting side. And then we have the hunting guys that they don't necessarily want to see black guns all the time. Yeah. It's just kind of noise. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just kind of, if you're looking for one kind of content, we want to be able to, I mean, we, the, the majority of us there are pretty heavily into hunting and, uh, and bird, bird chasing birds. So to be able to have a better Avenue to get that out. So, so yeah. Cool. Well, as I mentioned, we're here at Pheasant Fest 2020, and do you know do you know what year of the festival this is, Matt? 
I don't know. The number in my head is like 16. Like this is their 16th year. I think Does it, it is. say here? 2020. No, I'm not sure. But anyways, I've this is the third time that I've been at Pheasant Fest. And the first time was in 17. So I've kind of been coming the last handful of years. And the event has maintained its consistency. But it's I feel like PF does an awesome job of making it better and more interesting every year. And, and I, I've talked to people that have gone to some of the early ones. And as you might suspect, you know, they, it was like they started from humble beginnings and the event has grown and grown and the success has contributed to more success. I mean, now you come to Pheasant Fest and I was, ex- I was excited for weeks to come to this event. I mean, this is obviously a very targeted event for us on the Project Upland team, but it's, it's a consumer trade show. Meaning you've got industry partners here, you've got nonprofits, you've got brands, but you've also just got all the bird hunters and all the people in the upland hunting community. They all come out. There's stuff to look at. There's dogs everywhere. I mean, it's a fantastic event. We were excited to be here, and it's been it's been a great three days. I'm already looking forward to next year. They haven't officially announced where it's going to be next year. I've heard a couple of rumors, but we'll let we'll let PF announce that later today, and we'll we'll figure out where we're all going to be next year. But Matt, you were at Pheasant Fest last year in Schaumburg. That's where I met you, actually. Yep. Is this, so this is your second time? It's my second, event. yeah. Yep. And you're here, obviously, with the organization. Did you have any goals or, or stuff you wanted to come here and see? Anything stick out to you over the last couple of days? Um, not really, to be honest. I mean, I guess I'm here unofficially because I'm not working. Yep. So, um, one, I feel kind of bad w- watching all my coworkers running <laughs> around like crazy. Um, I mean, they're doing an awesome job and... You know, the events turned out great. Right. Um, so because I came on my own, you know, I've I've seen a few people from my chapters and, you know, making connections in my region anyway. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's more just to come and, and meet people, um, you know, that we, we all speak to on social media and, and that kind of thing. And uh, with the products, I mean, you know, I, I, I keep pretty close tabs on what's coming out in the market. So I kind of know and, you know, sometimes there's things that you want to see in person just see if they stack up to what you see in the photo. So yep. it's a great opportunity to network and see cool products. How'd you get that BHA hat you're wearing? I saw you snag it from the booth right before I, I just came bought up. it. You bought it. Yeah. All right. When we get back downstairs, I'm going to buy one of those. <laughs> yeah, I, I missed out on one at Rendezvous, so <laughs> I figured I, I'd grab one. You didn't get the last one, did you? No. Okay. <laughs> Zach, obviously... CZ is one of the coolest contributors at Pheasant Fest that I saw this last year. You guys bring a killer display. I mean, it's a big oh, like yeah. center stage. I mean, there's guns everywhere. Every time you walk by the CZ booth, there's people mounting shotguns all over. I mean, talk Absolutely. about a place for somebody to come and get their hands on a bunch of guns, which I've been talking to you. I want to get down there later today and check out a few target guns, but... Well, I mean, we we bring a we bring a pretty big booth. Uh, this yeah. year, I think it's it's got... A little over 100 shotguns and rifles in it. So uh, our line is so diverse. We've had, we've got a ridiculous line. So that's not even all of them. Like you're always uh, I'm looking for a 20 gauge up in ultralight to show somebody. It's like, well, huh? We've got 12 gauges. We've got 20 gauge drakes. But you know, if we could, if we would put everything on display, I think we'd have to have uh, probably 200 guns on display, right? Just for the the long guns. So we've got a heck of a line. So when when you guys come to this show. You're selling guns here, aren't you? No, or, or you, no. This okay, is more so of just a we're right. showing. We're gotcha. uh, we partner with a lot of different uh, dealers around the U.S. We have an authorized dealer network, so we're pushing people over to Reeds, uh, which is the local, okay, the local shop, and okay. they're you know, they're able to do orders right there. So yeah. yeah, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so it's it's really just come talk to the people. 
at CZ and well, and get hands on. Exactly. I mean, that's you can you can hear about something, you can yep. see somebody talk about it and, and all that, and look at it online. But until you mount it and feel how it's actually built, yep. I mean, you, it's hard to know. Uh, so coming to a place like this where you can get hands on and really compare models and compare it to what you're used to and what the guns that you've had to your shoulder because nobody uh, <laughs> we <had a> light <laughs> light, yeah, yeah, lights turned turned out on us. We got our we got our flashlights going here. <laughs> this could be like a this could be like a, the spooky version of the Project Dublin podcast. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> I would have thought the motion detectors would have kept us all right there, but just on a timer. Yeah, so people are coming there. They're, yeah, they get so to check out CZ guns. A big deal is uh, is gun fit. Yeah. Um, you never know how a gun's going to fit you if it's built with no cast and it's neutral. And if you've got a really wide face, I mean, you're going to not do well with that gun. Yeah. So being able to put a gun up, actually see how it fits you, actually see how it's built, and then we've got. Uh, Dave Miller, our shotgun product manager, he's doing shotgun fitting seminars. So just talking about why it matters and because you have so many people and we're building to an average. We're, we're building to Absolutely. The, the thing that we see most, but that's not going to be perfect. It's not It's yeah. not going to be perfect for everybody, but we're trying to hit as many as we can with it. Yeah. So. yeah, that's, you know, we've definitely done episodes on this podcast about gun fit and there's, of all things gear related, shotguns are the one thing boy, boy, it's tough to buy that by just looking at something in a catalog. But that happens at times, you know. But if you can get to a place and a place like this where it's legitimately people can just walk up and start picking up guns. And you have – there's CZ people all over, you know, like watching, keeping an eye on things and there to answer questions and stuff. But it's a very open environment for people to come and check out a bunch of guns. Well, that's the – you know, it's one of those things. until Until you can pick it up, shoulder it. You know, and see the the work that goes into it and how it's fit. I mean, we we build a pretty tight gun, and uh, it's got hand engraving and all this little stuff that you just don't pick up in a picture. Yeah. I mean, it's just not. You know, there's a lot of love that goes into these. You so. brought a gun over to our booth yesterday. It was an Upland Ultralight, right? No, that was actually a Drake. It was Southpaw. a Drake, but it was yes, it was a, it was a yeah. lefty. And our 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 buddy Joe yeah. from the Project Upland team is a lefty, and he had never. I don't think he had ever mounted a lefty. Gun. No, he shot right-handed guns his whole life, yeah. and uh, just dealt with it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we have a handful of Southpaw stuff in the in the line. And I'm hoping we bring out more. But yep. uh, but yeah, it's one of those things where uh, so many people aren't. I mean, they're not compromising anymore. Where it used to be, if you were a left-handed person, you just get forced to use right-handed guns. But yeah. that's just not the way of it anymore. So that that's, this was actually curious to me that in when you're building to your standard, your average, right? You, I, I imagine it varies gun to gun, but you will in a in a right-handed version, you will build it not a neutral stock. It'll, no, it'll we don't do neutral. Stock. You don't yeah. do any neutral. I think we do some polymer stocks that are neutral, just okay. that way they're, I mean, it's a mold, and that way you're you're uh, able to cast it. A lot of times we'll use a shim kit on some of those. Okay. So yeah. you can give it cast on or cast off. Yeah. Um, and then drop and all that stuff. So uh, we build them with cast off. Yeah. So uh, when you're talking about stock fit, uh, everything is you know, everything's based off of a right-handed person because the right-handed person is the norm. Correct. So when you say cast off, that thing is actually bent away from you. Yep. So it's cast off. Cast on, the stock is bent towards the cheek of a right-handed person. Yep. So when a lefty puts it up, it moves that stock out of the way, allows your eye to be looking right down the rib. Correct. So, yep. so yep. yeah. And from talking to a guy like Dell Whitman, I guess I'm piecing this together. I can see why you would put 
cast off and when you're building a wood gun, you know, and you have to kind of basically make that decision at the factory, you know, from talking to Dell, a little bit of cast off can, can go a long ways. Oh man. If the right cast, you know, again, cast off, cast on, but a little bit can go a long ways from yeah, talking it's to not, Dell. It's not extreme. It doesn't have to be extreme, yeah. uh, but it can make all the difference. Yeah. So, uh, but then like, so what we were talking about earlier is target guns. Um, you have so much more adjustability in them because yeah. you need to. Yeah. Because those, it's not a field gun where you know you're you're actually shooting a wide variety of targets with a target gun where uh, you've got to be right on. You, you get, when you mount that gun, you need to be looking down at the same way every time. So, uh, but what ends up happening is it's heavier, it's bigger, it's bulkier. So, have you done a lot of target shooting? That- Quite a bit. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, I, I got to follow around Dave, uh, for a few years doing some sporting clays. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was awesome, but, uh, I kind of had a, had a, I lost a bit of sight in my, in my shooting eye. Uh, oh really? Yeah. So I got a big old, big old blind spot. So it kind of makes incoming right targets a little tougher. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's just not as fun when it's, uh, when you get surprised by those incomers more so, often than not. So. I, I asked the question, I'm cu- I'm curious trying to like, cause we were having this conversation about target guns and I'm looking at target guns and I'm approaching it from the standpoint of I've started shooting sporting clays last Mm -hmm. summer. I shoot sporting clays every week. And so I knew eventually I'd start thinking, you know, and like the guys that I shoot with, they're like a bunch of old guys and they, they kind of mentor me and they, they're helping me shoot and stuff. They, what they do is we have a league. It's a casual league. It's a friendly league, but they shoot a 12 gauge target gun the first round. And then we usually all go back around a second time and we, and they shoot their bird guns. Yeah. So now I'm, you know, following in their mold thinking, Hey, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I could shoot a 12 gauge target gun first time and then you know take a little bit of load off my bird gun and just shoot that a little bit less and shoot a target gun but back to adjustability a lot of the target guns you look at them they have adjustable combs and in stock and we've already talked about the importance of gun fit that all makes sense to me when how and why does a target shooter adjust his gun meaning like you know if he will he try to set it up one way if he goes to shoot skeet or and then a different way if he goes to shoot trap how do those adjustments get made or is it finding the right fit and then keeping it there well so the trap shooter the skeet shooter and the sporting clay shooter aren't usually the same person correct yeah. uh, you kind of find a game you like and you mm. stick with it but uh, there are people that do it all and they a lot of times they're going to have different guns for different things sure. uh, trap shooters tend to they they mount a gun completely different than a sporting clay shooter mm-hmm. does, and they're going to be looking at the rib. They want to float that that clay up above the rib, whereas a sporting clay shooter typically wants a fifty fifty. Like they want to, you know, put the put the barrels on the bird and break it, yep. but because um, they have so many different target presentations, it's not just a rising target going away. Correct. Yep. So so it's a it's a completely different thing. Um, but we do. I mean, there there are guns out there that can do it all, yep. um, and it kind of having a two barrel set. So we've got an all American that's a combo. So you have an unsingle with a, with a high rib that's, that's an right. adjustable rib. Yep. So you can make it pattern a hundred percent high. So that pattern is completely above the barrels. Interesting. Um, and you just set the gun up for whatever sport you're shooting. Yeah. So. Yeah. So the trap guns, that's where you see the single barrels and the super high ribs. And again, I, I can make sense of that in my mind, floating the target above and yep. Yeah, so I'm going to be, you know, again, as a bird hunter and I shoot sporting clays, I'm going to be looking at a sporting clays gun more that 50-50. I mean, that would make a lot of sense to me. And yeah, it's, but I mean, it's one of those things, if, you, if you're if you thinking about uh, doing it, we, we do a combo set. That's, I mean, it, it is more, but man, uh, it, it would allow you to do some singles trap that, sure. that I mean, that, a high rib is, is a wonderful thing. You're basically pushing all that mass and all that gun out down away from your vision. 
Yeah. So you, you your field of view opens up tremendously. Interesting. So, I didn't even really think about it that yeah. way. Well, and it, and you're shooting in the heat, shooting a lot of rounds. Yeah. Um, you get a big ventilated rib. I mean, there's a lot of little things. You're not getting as much heat. You're not getting the the uh, waves coming off the barrel. Yeah. All yep. that. So. Yeah, that was uh that was something actually in a recent conversation I had with the folks at Caesar Greeny, they talked about how much the barrel moves and waves like when you actually shoot and if you don't have proper barrel regulation, I mean, you think this this pattern's coming out of this barrel, it's gonna go generally in in a certain direction, but that is definitely not the case. I mean you can get some major if the regulation's done improperly, you can get some point of impacts that are way, way off. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things people don't realize how often, like how much they should be patterning their guns. They, yeah. They, when you get a new gun, you really ought to put it on a patterning board and see how it does. Yeah. I mean, field guns, um, they could be off a surprising amount. Yeah. So, um, some folks, I mean, yeah, we have, we have some standards we hold to. I'm not, I'm not sure I could quote it, but, uh, but we hold, hold our field guns to one standard and have a much tighter standard for our tar- target guns. Yeah. So, I'll be the first to admit I don't do enough patterning. What about you, Matt? Um, the, the only time I have recently um, was before one of my snowcock hunts, and I was switching up loads. And you know that, that that's a little different. Um, yeah, it's not something very typical, and it's something where you may only have one shot. So there's a little more importance behind. Was that it. was that the hunt two years ago, or did it you? was? Okay. Yeah. Okay. I remember you actually hearing you talk about that at one point. You shot your Ithaca up there. I did, yeah, yeah. both so this year and last year. Twelve gauge Ithaca pump. What yeah. what loads did you shoot? Uh, you Perry Storm number five. Okay, yeah, good, they, P- good PF guy. Yep, you know it. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the guys from Federal were walking by the booth yesterday or two days ago, and they brought by the new uh, Prairie Storm sixteen gauge. They're rolling out Prairie Storm and sixteen gauge and twenty eight gauge this year. I think that was cool. Cool. Yeah, to they've see. got some exciting new loads coming out this year. Yep. Yeah, and also I saw online. Prairie Storm has all has always been tied to pheasants forever. Now they have a Quail Forever load, which I I don't know if it's a new load, but they have Quail Forever branding on. Yeah, I like, haven't seen it, but uh, I I heard about it. It's yesterday, one of the premium. So it's cool. the premium copper plated shot. I think I might have shot some of that stuff last year. I'm not not a hundred percent sure, but let's talk a little bit about bird hunting 2019. Matt, is your season closed yet? It is closed, unfortunately. Okay, good, because now I can hate you a little bit less. <laughs> <laughs> My bird season ended in November, and I was buried in snow, and that was partially me kind of giving up or at least not seeking out additional opportunities. But I uh, I lived vicariously, vicariously through Mr. Harding for a couple of months. He was still banging away until, what, January, February? Uh, first weekend in February, it ends in Nevada. What's the last thing that you're hunting out there? Chucker. Chucker. Yeah. Okay. How was your chucker season? It was good, yeah. yeah. What, how long have you been hunting chuckers? Uh, probably five or six years. Okay. Yeah. So not, not a super long time. Yeah. Um, cause I, I never lived anywhere where, where I could hunt them. Yep. So, um, and they've quickly become my favorite. In your, in your five, six years that you've been hunting them, cause we were, I've just been talking a lot this weekend about swings and undulations at rough grouse populations. Do you see stuff like that in what, what are the factors and, what, if any, swings or undulations in chucker hunting have you seen in your five years doing it? That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's hard to have a consistent um, grasp on those numbers just mm-hmm. because I, I hunted in Oregon for two years um, or two or three years and then Nevada for two years yep. and then I hunt Idaho as well. So I'm, I'm moving around quite a lot mm-hmm. hunting chucker. Um, 
but when I go to specific spots, I think the difference always comes down to water. Okay. You know, how much snow we had in the winter um, kind of dictates how much snow is running through the creeks all summer. And, you know, if it's an overly harsh winter, so we had one of those in Oregon uh, probably three years ago, I think, and there was a huge winter kill from that. Um, they're pretty tough birds, but that was an exceptionally rough winter. Yep. Um, do you so know, you, do want, you know what gets them? Um, it's like super cold temps, super deep snow. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know for sure. Okay. Um, I, I think it's just a combination of everything. I know that year we had a lot of freezing rain and okay. that was just like, you know, that, that was a lot harder to deal with. Can't than, imagine than that would be snow. enjoyable. No. And, and I, I heard stories like, um, in Hell's Canyon in Idaho, for instance, you know, Idaho and Oregon, right, right on the border there. The birds were getting pushed down so far because of the snow and, you know, get, getting frozen on top. And they ended up being dead birds all along the road. Wow. So they're plowing the snow and there's dead birds in there. So that winter was really tough. Um, last winter was perfect. We had tons of snow all at the right time. Um, we did have a bit of a spring snow uh, in late May that kind of dusted Chucker country in Nevada. But uh, in general, you know, the hatch was pretty good from from what I saw and what what I've heard other reports. Yep. Yeah, so you kind of think like me in the sense that I'm always thinking about it's really hard to compare apples to apples, whether you're comparing hunting versus like hunting birds in different locations or you're talking to another hunter, like how do they hunt, how hard do they hunt, you know, so it's, it's hard to, you really got to spend a lot of time doing it and doing it consistently to be able to actually see those swings and changes and feel confident that you actually know what's going on. Right. Yeah. We always, we always make assumptions. It's really tough because even if I go to the same spot four times in a season, um, you know, one spot, for instance, this year I went in, I saw 400 chucker. I went in another time I saw zero Yeah, and two weeks apart, you know? So, uh, if I'm judging that off just one visit, then it's pretty hard to do. Yeah. So if you went, just the time you saw 400, you'd think everything's great. Yeah. you went the other time, <laughs> yeah, the, the so spot it, it's sucks. It's pretty tough. <laughs> I mean, I just kind of judge it on the season as a whole. You yep. Know? Yep. If I'm shooting limits or if I'm going out and shooting one or two birds a day over and over again, that's kind of how I judge it. Sure. Yep. Anything else? Did you did you take big trips this year? Yeah. So um, I did the snowcock trip again. Okay. That was kind of the opener for me, September 1st. Yep. Um, and that was good. We were successful again. Did you go up with Travis again? I did. Okay. Yeah. So we both got one separately. Uh, I got one the first day. He got one the second day. Is the limit, is it one bird thing? It's two. Okay. Yeah. So we were obviously stoked to, to be successful at it again. Yep. We've, we've kind of dialed it down in terms of, uh, strategy now. Um, you know, our, our scouting trips help tremendously with that. So, um, that was awesome. Then I uh, did the public grouse filming in Utah. Utah, yeah. Hunted ptarmigan for the first time, and uh, we were successful with that. Uh, I went with my wife, yep. and she shot her first ptarmigan, so that was really cool. White-tailed ptarmigan? Yep. Did I get that right? Okay. That's and right. those are those are those were introduced species, right? Introduced birds to yes. that area? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, they introduced to that area. They're right. originally from North America, right, but right, um, right. you know, they introduced them there and. Colorado, Oregon, uh, California. So there's actually a season in Colorado, California, and Utah for the lower 48. Okay. Yeah, because I, I caught that in the film that you had you. There's a point where you referenced that they were introduced, but then I got to think, I mean, you know, they're ptarmigan. They're it's a North American bird. So what's their 
primary historic range do you know uh i i believe it's alaska okay yeah okay. and you know probably into bc as well sure sure yep yeah so you did what time of year did you do that hunt um so i that one actually opens before anything that oh, one really? opens like towards the end of august but we went towards the end of september so okay. we went a little late and um just because of timing you know yep. between other hunts and my wife's work and that kind of thing um so we went a little late, and there were really bad reports from everyone. I mean, I was a little worried. Like we, bird number reports? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I knew a few groups that went up and couldn't find birds. Really? Fish and Game said it was one of the worst years they've ever had, and, and, and we got lucky and, and found them. But yeah, um, I, I think if you're going in the lower 48, Colorado's the place to go. Well, yeah, it definitely looked like, and I guess I haven't spent as much time out west to know like what the weather is like, but it looked it looked like a... I mean, you guys were in t-shirts and shorts, and you were fishing, and looked like you were having a blast up there. Uh, well, you, you probably didn't see all the storm footage because Will didn't have his camera out. The but, hike uh, in, you got rained on, right? Yeah, there yeah. was rain and sleet yeah. and hail, and it it was actually like that for the majority of the trip. So we really only had, uh, I guess, two half days to possibly okay. get birds. So those the were the f- days that Will could bust his camera out. Yeah, so luckily the first morning we went out, we got into birds. And, okay. and we kind of just said, okay, you know, we've got got the birds. We don't need to go out and shoot all of them. They're kind of, kind of struggling this year already. So the next day we went fishing, and yep. those were the, the only two, like, breaks in the weather that we had. So one of the interesting things about that hunt, and actually I've heard some people comment on this, like, in talking to them about the public grouse film afterwards, is so you, you basically arrived at this trailhead on, you know, the first evening. Next day, you break camp, and then you hike in mm-hmm. 10 miles. Yeah, it was uh, it was a little over 10, maybe, like 10 to 12, probably. Right, so you hiked in. So did you hunt that later that afternoon? Uh, no, we didn't because okay. we, got, we got hit with the rain. That was the weather. So okay. we ended up, like, putting up the tents in the rain and, like, just climbing in and getting cover and feeling kind of miserable about the situation. Okay, so the, I'm, I'm curious about the hike because that's not something that you often hear about you know, we're going to go, we're going to go bird hunting. We got to do all this logistics and hike in and stuff. Was that a, essentially a requirement to get into those birds? You had to, you had yep. to park there and you had to hike up because they're at higher elevations. Exactly. Yeah. And they're, and they're pretty deep in, into the, the mountain range there. Okay. So, uh, we got ours at just under 13,000 feet. Yep. Um, and the climb up is long and gradual incline. So, it's not super steep like the snowcock approach, but yeah. it's it's grueling. And you know, we packed for four days and had sixty pounds on our back, and uh, it it was not fun at all. So you spent three days at up up top. Yeah, we we basically called it a day early because okay. while we were fishing, um, when the sun kind of came out a little bit, a ton of smoke started coming up the canyon, okay. and there was a fire that got started by lightning uh, either that morning or the night. Oh wow! Um, so we just kind of made a call to bail out early and hope that the fire wasn't in our path going back. And, um, and the hike out was just horrendous. I think, uh, you've probably heard from Will that it was like one of the worst moments of our life. (laughs) Uh, I don't know that I heard that. It it was just, you know, after several days of romping around in the mountains and you're tired and wet and just exhausted. And we hiked out at night and, you know, it, it just went forever. And and that was about 15 miles total that wow. day, so yeah. it was tough. Zach, tell me about your epic. Back, <laughs> tell me about your I epic mean, backcountry how do hunt. I follow, come on! <laughs> you gotta let me go first next time. That's not right. Uh, no. Um, so this year was really a 
good year for me because I've got I've got a couple of young bird dogs that we I basically made the decision that uh, anytime and every time I could get out I would. Mm. Um, this is this has been a good year. So what kind of dogs, man? Uh, so I've got two beardy girls. I've got a a six year old uh, GWP that was a rescue, and uh, then I just picked up. Uh, she probably, she's a year and a half old now. So got a, a Chesky Fosik. So mm. a Bohemian Wirehaired Pointing Griffon. Dim the lights again. <laughs> Chesky Fosik. Yeah. So Chesky Fosik is uh is just uh, it's a one of the Wirehaired Pointing Griffons. Uh, specific Czech breeding. Okay. Um, and uh, so yeah, it's one of those things. I'd I'd had the GWP and I I loved her. She's she's incredible. Uh, she's best best uh, family dog that I've ever had. She's just so connected. Uh, that when we were looking for the next next dog, um, and having worked for CZ for seven years at that point, I was like, well, you know, how cool would it be to come together for me now? Yeah. I get, I follow you. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, um, brought her in from the Czech Republic and, uh, she's been great. She's the, you know, she may, might be more connected than our older dog. She is just tuned into you. Wow. And it's, it's wonderful. This so, was her first season. Did I catch this that? This was her first season. Okay. Yeah. I had her, I had her out a little bit, uh, that first year we got her, but I uh, didn't want to. Didn't want to screw anything up with exposure to guns and all that sure. stuff. I just wanted to kind of take it slow. So she got to got to do a little bit of retrieving stuff the year before. But yep. but uh, yeah, this was her first real real season in the field, and uh, she came a long way. So it was she it was got good. to she got to hunt in a few different places, didn't she? Did yeah, she travel she with you? a lot of states. Yeah. Um, so we actually so I started her um, in in uh, Wyoming on sage grouse. Um, and it was really like, it sounded like it was going to be the perfect thing. Cause big bird, a lot of scent, you know, they hold really well, like everything sounded great. And, and Sam Stein gave us this, you know, Oh, it's going to be great. We're going to get into birds. So easy. <laughs> yeah. 20 and a half miles later. And that's, that's <laughs> human miles, not dog miles. Right. Um, yeah, we earned those birds. Uh, yeah. problem was, I mean, she was on the ground for the first two days, got into some cactus and she was just, you know, it's just one of those things. Ah, I don't want to keep pushing her. When we when we aren't getting her the scent, right? Aren't getting her the birds, so yep. I, I, you know, it's one of those things. I put her up and pulled the next dog out, and we got into birds. Yeah. So. First sage grouse hunt. <sighs> Everything I've taken them on. Was that your first sage grouse? Oh, hunt? my first. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm a Kansas boy, and uh, no, I we we hear stories about the struggles of sage grouse, but we had we don't have the connection to it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. You know, I I know about the lex and then the, mm-hmm. you know, the the things that impact the the. Uh, uh, environment for them yep. but but i'm kind of disconnected being a kansas kid i mean we've got uh trees and fences and all that stuff that they don't like we've, you know, we've got it everywhere yep so we're pretty much gridded off you know yep but, yeah i definitely had had some of those same thoughts or at least that's how i reflect back on my 2018 sage grouse hunt it's like hey now i've done this i've seen it i've you no, just you have if a you, deeper if appreciation you never went there you would never know yep. i mean you don't you don't realize what a sage flat really looks like and when you're in the middle of it and you know, five miles from anything. Yep. There's nothing. Yeah. So the, yep. t- the tallest thing is a rock. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so pretty much. It is really cool. Yeah. And honestly, without having gone there and done it, I would never would have had a connection to that environment. I would have never, like, it didn't mean as much to me. Yep. And now it, it does, man. It's, it's a special place. So then back to Kansas after that, or what, what did the rest of the upland season look like for you? Yeah, for me, uh, most of my season is spent in Kansas. Um, just, I, I grew up uh, kind of north central, northwestern Kansas, and uh, so quail and pheasants are, are 
what really get me going. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah, spent a lot of time going across Kansas, um, doing a lot of walk-in. I don't, I don't have much private access. And so 95% of what I do is, is the Kansas walk-in program, which is incredible. Um, it's, uh, it's great in the early season. And especially if you kind of know where to go and where to avoid and not, you know, there's so many people that come in to use those lands, uh, kind of figuring out a, an equation where you're not going to be where everybody else is. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, um, a lot of Kansas, uh, did a little bit of South Dakota, uh, for Sharpies and, uh, pheasants. Um, what time of year were you, were you chasing Sharpies in South Dakota? Uh, it was, uh, just late November. So right okay. before Thanksgiving. So everything was open essentially at that yeah. point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it was on the, it was on the Rosebud too. So did you get Sharpies? Yeah. We, okay. uh, it was really rough cause we were in such short grass. I mean, we were at almost half time pass shooting them because, yeah. you know, they're coming from feed and then, sure. yeah. And so we, we were able to get some points on them. We were able to get some, like finding some birds with dogs, but it was just, it's kind of rough because they just, they had little sentinel birds out and we couldn't get close. Yeah. So that's, but. I'm, that's something I've been curious about. And cause I've only hunted early season sharp tails and everything I hear is that as the season progresses, sharp tails get a little bit different. They tend to flock up and they get more wary and they're harder to hunt. Have you had experience with that, Matt? Well, I, I hunted sharpies for the first time this season. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Um, and I hunted the Colombian variety. That's right. That's uh, right. In, in Utah. Or, sorry, uh, Idaho. Idaho, yep. Yeah, so I went there opening morning, and uh, they were pretty wary for opening morning. Were they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like opening Zach morning, was saying. What, what the, was uh, opening morning for that? I believe it's October 1st. Okay. Uh, if I remember correctly. But, um, yeah, I, I actually went the day before to look for huns and found sharpies. So then I went back the next day, and um like zach was saying they've got the sentinel birds out there and you know they they raise the alarm pretty quickly and uh what do they what do they do well do they just all take off at the same time yeah well why one's kind of got to get them going sure. and one goes and then they're all they're all getting up yep, and yep, yep. um i see that a lot with quail you know like valley quail uh mountain quail that they'll have somebody on lookout and as soon as you walk up he'll, he'll jump down and be like Let's go, guys. You know, they'll <laughs> yeah. all get moving. So, yeah. um, th- I mean, yeah, they were they were pretty spooky. And then the next day, you know, we uh, we had to kind of change tactics a little bit. Yeah. Ca- kind of, uh, it was pretty flat where we were hunting, so we had to use the terrain to our advantage and gotcha. kind of sneak up on them. Gotcha. Um, but it was cool. It was first time for me, first time for my dog, and so uh, you know, that's kind of the f- fun thing about upland hunting is. All the birds are different, the terrain's different, the tactics are different, yep. and uh, learning along the way is what makes it exciting. Yeah. You mentioned using the terrain to your advantage on sharptails. That's something that I picked up on from hunting with other people the last couple of years, and I actually wrote about it in an upcoming article of the Project Up in Magazine because I basically, you know, listened to what other people told me about, you know, basically staying low, using the topography keeping out of sight because sharptails like to have a view of the surrounding area. And I did it with some success and my dog and I shot a couple of birds doing it and it, it felt good being able to pull that off, but you can, you can absolutely do that. And you, you know, you kind of feel stealthy slinking. That's the exact sort of, strategy I used as well. Yeah. And, uh, because we, we actually saw them. So okay. I, I knew where they were. So I kept my dog at heel as we were kind of sneaking up on them. Yep. Um, cause he knew where they were and, yep. uh, I just didn't want to let him range too far out. So yeah, it, it's cool. It's it's fun changing things up and learning yeah. new things. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely not something that I I would even really ever think about in the rough grouse woods because you can't see that far away, right? But yeah, to to stay low and come up 
on the underneath side of like a little knob or a mount and have your dog rise up that knob and all of a sudden you look up and he's on point up top. Uh, that's a pretty thrilling, thrilling approach for if you've got a pointing dog out there. Uh, have you done the Arizona Mern's quail thing? I haven't. Okay. No, I was hoping to do that at the, no, you the have, end of Zach. this season, but yep. I, I'll save it for next year. That's I'm. I mean, it's a long it's a long ways out, but I'm saying at this time right now, I'm saying I'm going next year, but we'll see what happens between now and then. Zach, you've done it. Yeah, no, I went with uh, Pat Henry. Yep. And uh, and and border border with, with the film that's about to come out. Yep. Um, well, just kind it of was, walking. It was sneak it, it peek. It was sneak peek. Yep, yeah, at yeah. The, at the film festival for PF and QF on Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, and that, man, that's something completely different too. Um, that kind of combines, it's like you need your elk hunting boots and really lightweight. I mean, he's, he is scrambling everywhere. He's a, he's a madman. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, he's got the right dogs for it. And that's just, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I wish I wish I could do it now because I've I've actually you know been paying more attention. I've, I've lost a bunch of weight trying to be able to do more hunting and yep. and get out and uh, I could do it a heck of a lot better now than I did then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that was so the Arizona quail season. It's got to be just wrapped up now. I think. Yeah, you know? yeah, they're yeah. they're done. But you went. Would you have gone very early twenty nineteen? Uh, no, it was late were, in the season. This, you were December 2018 is when you went, didn't you? I think so. It was yeah. December or January. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was it was great. So it was a while ago now. But, yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, it's kind of it's one of those things where a lot of times we're you know you know if we're sponsoring a film with with PU, yep. uh, we've got prototype guns, we've got guns that we've uh, we're about to debut. Right. Uh, so like uh, for Sam out in in Wyoming, we've got guns that are one offs. I mean they're oh really? Uh, OD green and. And uh, now it's a production item, but but when we needed to f- shoot the film, there that's one of one. Sure. So, yeah. But uh, that's kind of one of the perks is is you know those guns have to get walked. So yeah, know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Matt, Utah, you did Colombian sharptails in Idaho. Anything else of note in 2019 season? Got my first sage grouse in Nevada. Oh, you did. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I, feel, so. I feel like you've done all this stuff already, but. No, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of hunting, but yeah. I, I'm trying to knock off new species all the time. Sure. So uh, it's just a matter of, you know, timing, I guess, trying to do Absolutely, it all. It's yeah. pretty hard to fit it all in. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I got my, got my first uh, sage grouse this year, which was pretty cool. Excellent. And Where, what state? In Nevada. Okay. And um, probably very different to what Zach experienced in uh, Wyoming. Not, um, not it was sage flats? Not flat at all. It was basically chucker country. Wow. Um, and yeah, we, we went out one, one time and, uh, basically got snowed out. I went with, uh, Travis Warren and, um, we had a, a quick morning to attempt it. Um, birds were flying over our trucks five minutes before shooting light, of course. And then we couldn't find them. Um, so we went, went back, we couldn't, didn't have any success. So we, we tried a new spot and they ended up being on the really steep stuff, you know, and, and we actually flushed chucker up there, but before it opened. What is do you have a feel like what's the status of sage grouse in Nevada? How long is the season? Would be one thing that I could. Uh, this the season kind of rotates a little bit depending okay. on units, okay. um, so it's not like statewide. Okay. Um, and the health of them is is decent. You know, it's better than uh, some of the surrounding states. Okay. Um, not as good as Wyoming, obviously. Yeah. Um, we got hit with really bad fires, uh, well, every year, but a couple years ago, there was a significant one uh, right through sage grouse territory so um you know there's always threats against them and you know we've got mining operations we've got 
uh, power lines uh, going going through the desert that uh, birds of prey can perch on. I mean, there's a lot of things working against them, but yep. in general, they're better off than most states. Okay. Any other hunts? Um, lots of chucker, mountain yep. quail, um, uh, some blue grouse, rough grouse. Um, that's probably about it. Maybe I'm forgetting something, but <laughs> <laughs> you got out and did some hunting this year, man. That's good. That's good. Yeah, anything? Good uh, what's what's uh, for both of you guys? We'll start with you, Matt. Anything on your what's what's next on your list is what I'm getting at. Uh, whether I do it next season or not is another story, but I'd like to get a uh, a regular sharp tail. Um, okay. Yep. And a prairie chicken, and then I'd like to get the desert quail so I can complete my slam. Okay. And so that's kind of top priority right now. Sure. Um, and then I need a, um, a spruce grouse to kind of complete okay. the, well, not complete the grouse slam, but at least in the lower 48, sure. I still have to get some ptarmigan in Alaska. And then I've almost done all, all, the whole slam for North America. So wow. yeah. I'm kind of just w- working on that. Yeah, um, you've got, you got a good chunk of the way I there. get distracted with chucker and mountain quail, you know, within an hour of home. It's, it's nice a, to have your bread and butter. It is, yeah. yeah. And chucker is a good thing to have locally. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Zach? You got oh, anything? Oh man, for me, mountain quail. That's okay. the only quail I'm still, you know, looking for. Okay. And uh, no, I was in California earlier this year, and we were just in the in the valleys like you wouldn't believe. Like they 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 were apologizing because we were late season. We we're only getting up coveys of thirty or forty birds. And I'm I'm from Kansas, and yeah. Bob White's a, a covey of thirty Bob Whites would just be a dream. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, it'd be a hundred birds at the end of the season. Oh. Geez. Christmas, <laughs> but uh, it turns out if I where we were, if I would have just gone higher, we probably would have been the mountain quail. So yeah, so yeah, it's the only one I haven't chased so far. Um, I really they're they're gorgeous. Sounds That's, like a trip to Reno's on the cards. Uh, it has to be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next on my list is some pretty, I guess, basic stuff: pheasant, quail. <laughs> I've never hunted, oh. I've never hunted wild pheasant and wild quail. I've talked about that before, but I I thought this was going to be the year that I would get out late season and chase wild pheasants, whether it was just in southern Minnesota or not. But again, I've told some people this: I was I was very content with my upland season up until mid November when I took a break for deer hunting, and then we just got covered in snow, and then I slowed down and spent a bunch of time with family and just kind of said that was a great season i don't need to i don't need to press any harder but next next season i'm going to try to make some arrangements for hopefully after the new year kind of like extend it a little bit that way and get out and see what i can do but there's a lot of variety i think we have some pretty unique perspectives in here to just like talk about the amount of variety there is in the upland hunting world which is very very cool and there's some parallels and and some crossover, but there's also some real clear differences between the different styles and, and things that you can do and the adventures that you can go on, which I think is pretty cool. One of the other things we wanted to talk about was the unique, odd association between Project Upland and Toyota trucks. <laughs> right, Zach? <laughs> Surprising. Yeah. yeah. No, every, every time you meet somebody that's kind of associated or tied in, it's, oh, they got a taco. Oh, a tundra. Huh. And after a while, it gets kind of eerie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's just the the generation of folks we have, yeah, that are kind of all revolving around this. But what if uh, would you? Maybe we're just all hip uplanders and we all die to this. Well, maybe <laughs> we are. <laughs> You're gonna give me my ideas now. Yeah, the next hip uplander post is gonna be a Toyota one. I I, I suspect. Uh, well, and the worst part is so in the pistol side, uh, CZ always has had the uh, 
the hipster gun uh, reputation. And really? Oh my gosh! Yes, I didn't know that. I know it, it. It's painful to even talk about. I didn't but know there was a hipster handgun. Apparently, I guess, yeah, I'm checked out of that world. Yeah, we're we're it. When I when I first started working at CZ, you know, we're a tiny little office where everybody's packed on top of each other, and it it's like you know, folks that aren't necessarily into memes at the time. Sure. And they have hipster CZ memes that they've seen on the internet and thought they were funny and posted it just because they didn't get them and they thought they were funny. Uh, but it's kind of taken on a life of its own. It's yeah. almost it's, uh, it's painful at this point. So. <laughs> well, in a, in a, in a shameless attempt to maybe get some Toyota eyes looking our way, Matt, why do you drive a Toyota? Uh, well, I, I drove a Jeep for a long time okay. and, uh, I wanted to make the switch over to a truck yeah. and, uh, you know, you just have to search for used Tacomas online to see ones that are still going at, you know, 200,000 on the clock. And yep. that kind of speaks for itself. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I wanted a truck, wanted something a lot more versatile than, than my Wrangler and uh, went with the Tacoma. And you've had it for an upland season now, right? Yep. Yeah, I got it in the summer. Um, got about 36,000 miles on it. Yep. So uh, doing a lot of driving. Yeah, you put some miles on it. Uh, I love it. It's way better than the Jeep. It drives better. It um you know, now that I've got lift and tires and stuff on it, it's uh, it's perfect for the Chucker Hills. Something you mentioned earlier was kind of interesting. You you went with the Tacoma for one reason in particular, and that was you were considering a Tundra, but the full size full size truck would be limiting where you're hunting, right? Yeah, I mean we've got some pretty nasty roads. You know, they're they they zigzag up mountains, so you've got to do hairpin turns on the side of a mountain. Where if you make a mistake, you're going to roll back down at the bottom that sounds so bad. the wrangler was great because it was a short wheelbase sure so you know you could zip up and down those things no problem but i had storage issues and like utility issues just with loading and unloading and stuff like that yeah um and i i like the the tundra because it's big and yep. you know i i don't have anything to tow right now but you have that opportunity to to tow more yeah um and the the tacoma just kind of like fit right in the middle you know it's yep. uh definitely a longer wheelbase than the jeep it took a little bit getting used to but sure. it's still not too long to kind of hinder my my way up mountains dogs inside or out uh it's a mix of both okay. um so it depends who's with me and what kind of stuff i'm carrying sometimes my dog gets a little whiny when we hit hit the gravel road so that that can be annoying yep. um but if it's a if it's a full full truck then uh i'll put put him in the gunner on the back yep okay zach uh, you drive a Toyota? Yeah, no, I've got a couple. So we we got turned on a Toyota because of our commuter. We we do ninety miles a day, and so having commuter vehicles that just didn't break down all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so started off with a Forerunner and uh, drove that thing like crazy. Ended up with uh, buying another one. Uh, so I got a fourth gen V8 that basically was my hunting wagon for years and years. Um, done a lot to it, and it's about to get lockers. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that you can just keep doing more and more to it. What so, year is the fourth gen? Fourth gen is 03 to okay. 09. I know those ones then. All right. Yeah. Yep. So um, the V8, it's a full-time all-wheel drive, and the, that motor is just known for being yep. bomb-proof. Yep. So. You know, just one of those things, once you understand what it needs and what its, you know, deficiencies are and and the expense of putting headers on it when the manifolds keep cracking and, you know, just yeah. knowing what it needs, but then it is a super capable vehicle. Yeah. So, and that kind of, I, after a few years, outgrew that, just it can't haul enough dogs and people and stuff and uh, ended up getting a Tundra to kind of complement it. 
Um, and I'm able to, I, the sad thing is I've now outgrown that. So, uh, you get to the point where you, you need, Toyota needs to make a three quarter ton yeah, <laughs> solid yeah, front yeah. axle Tundra and may, <laughs> allow us to do that crew max with a bigger bed. Cause man, I'm, I'm maxed out in that thing. Yeah. So, but, uh, no, they've been great. I think we put 35,000 miles on the Tundra, uh, this last year chasing birds. And then the, the forerunner, if, if I'm able to run kind of light and lean it's the forerunner with two dogs and a couple people yep. but uh yeah no we kind of convoy around if we're if we got enough people we, we're running five dogs sometimes and and the tundra we can actually pack a bunch of guns and, and ammo and gear and I run four dogs in it and, yeah it's amazing how quickly you can fill up a truck full of upland gear oh my gosh yeah <laughs> yeah i kind of had uh really uh i was pre-exposed to Toyotas from a very young age. My dad has sold Toyotas for a long, long time, for longer than I can remember. And my brother sells them now too. So my family's just always been a Toyota family. And I, uh, I, I had a, had a few different kinds of vehicles at one point, but the last time I needed to buy a vehicle, I was, I was giving up a company vehicle and needed to, needed to get a, a truck of my own. And then that was when I had a dog and everything. And I looked and I really liked Forerunners, always have, and I was I was kind of up in the air. I I just knew that that wasn't going to have the size that I that I quite wanted. I wanted the full size and looked at Tundras, but really liked the SUV for most applications. You know, there's pros and cons to both sides of that. But ended up with a Sequoia, and I bought a I bought a Sequoia with 180 thousand miles on it, and it was in great shape. I could tell, had it checked out and stuff, but I didn't think twice about it. And I'm up, up around 210 now, and kind of want to get to 300 on that thing but that's it's an 07 i mean that it's the same same uh i think there was an 08 tundra that did a million miles or whatever down in texas on the oil rigs and stuff so it's yeah i mean i i i like that i'm a toyota fan whatever but there's there's some good trucks out there but oddly the uh the project upland community seems to be very toyota centric surprising i mean it's like <laughs> chet's got one aj's yeah. got one will's got one <laughs> Yeah, pretty much any time you're running a million now. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we're we're about to wrap up. Um, I want to do a couple things to close. First, we're going to do. Uh, I'm trying to remember to do this every time. A little Project Upland podcast lightning round. It'll be interesting because we got a shotgun guy here with us. But uh, first one is go to bird gun. One that you most of us have have more than one gun. But what gun do you pick up most often when you go bird hunting, Matt? Uh, Ithaca 37. Okay. And it's 12 gauge. 12 gauge, uh, fixed modified choke. Was that pat handed down? It was, uh, it, it's technically on loan. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's a friend of mine. Okay. And he's loaned it to me for several seasons now. Gotcha. Um, and he has a great collection of guns and can't shoot them all. Yeah. Um, so that was his, his dad's. Um, so that gun's seen a lot of birds in a lot of different places. You're shooting, you're, you're doing a lot of variety of hunting. So I imagine your, your load and stuff is going to change. Do you have a, do you have a favorite load? Yeah, I, I usually go with, with federal, um, sixes cause that's, you know, I'm shooting chucker mostly. Yeah. Um, and I, I shot that for, uh, for sage grouse, sharp tail, um, ptarmigan. I went a little lighter. Uh, quail, you know, if I'm specifically hunt, hunting mountain quail, I go lighter as well. Gotcha. Zach, shotgun load? Uh, for me, uh, I was never a side-by-side guy, and I ended up borrowing a, a sharp tail to do a New Hampshire hunt. Yep. Because it just didn't feel right taking my, I have an up and ultralight that I've been using for years, uh, so it's super lightweight 12. And it just didn't, didn't feel right going to the northeast and, and shooting that 12 sure. on those birds. So I borrowed a sharp tail and 20. Um, 
fell in love with it. Like yeah. it just, you've been shooting that a lot. Uh, everything. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Everything. All my other guns stay at home now. It's a beautiful so. gun too. You you got. Yeah. Did you have that custom made? No, not that okay. one. It's a really not nice piece of wood on it. Well, you know, it's a perk of the job. You get, you get to go through. A <laughs> you few. got to pick. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. It, it was one of those things where. I picked it up. I couldn't mess with it. Yep. And so I just kept shooting it because it's like, man, you don't mess with it when, and just kind of getting it tuned in for me. I put a nice set of Carlson chokes in it that are just awesome. Yep. Um, and I'm shooting at least for pheasants and quail in Kansas. I do a Fioki golden pheasant, a, like a three inch number five is what I've been really kind of happy with on pheasants. Cause our birds are wily. Sure. They're wild flush in and out there yep. and, and that does pretty pretty good on them. But in my other pocket, I've got uh, two and a, two and three quarter inch seven and a halfs with high brass. Don't really care what it is, but just a, a quality seven and a half. Um, and I pretty much primarily twenty gauge now. So yep. um, yeah, grew up in a twelve family. Never really yeah, kind of finally getting exposed to. The finer stuff. Eventually, I'll be a, either sixteen or twenty-eight, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. a little bit more. You're just not hip enough yet. Just not there yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, boots. What kind of boots do you? What's your go-to boots, Matt? Oh, I don't have one because I destroy them all. Okay. Um, I use Scarpas this year, and they lasted longer than anything I've had. And okay. They were pretty much a full mountaineering boot. Yeah. All right, Zach. Kenetrex. Um, I'm probably the only person in Kansas that hunts in Kenetrex. <laughs> But I bought them because I knew I'd be doing a little bit of Idaho hunting, and um, they've been wonderful. Um, just super stiff soles, and I mean, I'm, I'm five years on the on the pair I'm wearing right now, uh, and they're finally at the point where I couldn't do Idaho, but they're still going to be perfect for for pheasants. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was asking people like, what's a one go to piece of gear, essential item, and uh, I'm not sure how I feel about that question. I think I might switch it to bird vest. What do you think of that, Matt? Sure. Yeah, I'm I'm using the Wingworks. Wingworks? Yeah. How long? Uh, this is my first season with okay. it. I was using a Filson vest before, okay. um, and I really like it. I mean, it. I, I bring my camera with me, yep. um, and I put that, I strap it to my uh, sternum strap, okay. and then have it sitting in the uh, in the vest, so it's easy access. Most of the time, I, I can't be bothered to take photos. So, so you, got <laughs> this, you have the camera strap, it's looped through your sternum strap, and then you, is it? around behind you in your bird bag i just tuck it into the gotcha. bird vest so gotcha. okay. my camera's gotten blood on it before and yep. feathers and stuff but that's kind of you know right. part, part of the package but yep. it holds a ton of birds i mean yep. I, i've you know gotten limits of chucker and a bunch of quail as well and yep. they, they all pile up plus extra layers and water and yeah i mean wingworks has storage. that they have the loop on the back where you can like you can you can latch on your extra layers and stuff yeah too. i actually don't do that i just throw it all, all in the, in the bag, back yeah, yeah I, I just get too worried about it catching on something and yeah. falling off and yeah. um but most of the time you know i start cold and then uh yeah. just kind of heat up and try to bring as little as possible but i've actually worn my i when i'm when i'm on the fly like you i will i'll throw an extra shirt just in my bag whatever and the shirt usually gets blood on it if i'm lucky but i i've actually worn my wingworks vest deer hunting like if I'm if I'm up and moving and doing like more still hunting, which we can do in some of the areas in northern Minnesota, I've, I've worn that Wingworks vest because it's again it's so comfortable you can carry a load. And at that point, I actually have strap. I've, I've used it to strap some wires. I don't do that very often, but Zach bird vest. Uh, for me, it's kind of I like a, the Columbia makes. I think it's a ptarmigan okay. vest. Um, and I, I just like simple. Um, I you know in Kansas we're we're more vests than strap vests. You know like real vests. Um, that thing has been bomb proof. Um, I think I'm on my third one. It's not because I, you know, 
not because they wore out or anything, just because uh, I love them. Um, yeah. uh, so I've got a, a GWP that she was a rescue. We got her at nine months or yeah, nine months and trained her up. She loves hunting. She's just addicted to it, but she has allergies. So uh, we only try to run her when it's snowy or wet. Um, but sometimes something will set her off and uh, there are times I have to carry her out of the field. And believe it or not, that dang thing, it's got one big zipper at the top and it carried a 55 pound dog, three quarters of a mile. Unreal. So, I mean, I, I, it was, I was at the point where like, yeah, if the, if the vest breaks, it breaks. It is what it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. And the funniest thing though was this year, um, got to the end of a field, we're half a mile in the field and she's just, she's at the point where I'm like, ah, so she's too energetic. She won't stop. There's no way you can make her stop hunting. Uh, she's her throat's closing up and it's just terrible. And so I put her in the bird bag and she, as soon as she goes in the bird bag, she's, she's happy. Cause she's like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm out in the air. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she's, you know, we get over the top of the hill and she starts freaking out. I'm like, dude, chill. You know, I'm reaching back and petting her. I'm like, dude, calm down. <laughs> and so I, you know, paused and I'm petting her and she's freaking out, freaking out, freaking out. I was like, dude, I take two steps and a rooster gets up. It's like, <laughs> oh my gosh. She's still hunting from the bird bag. Yep. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So yeah. And I, did you get a shot off? Oh, I shot twice. <laughs> Missed it. Oh, <laughs> Bigger than life. Oh, that would have been a great bird, but uh, yeah. But, but no, I've, I, it's been awesome. I bought it, bought one for my dad. I've got a couple of them. Um, I don't know. They, they work well. Cool. I'm looking for the next strap vest. Um, yeah. Something a little lighter for, for early season stuff. Something there's a lot of new ones out there. Yep. I know. There's yep. good stuff here at the show. Yeah, there's two new ones at the show. Philson's coming out with one. There's another one that's Hunt to ready. be announced. Hunt ready. Yeah, Hunt, Hunt ready. He stopped Ike by the booth this morning, yep. Philson has one, and then okay. there's another one coming as okay. well. Okay. Yeah, the Hunt Ready is the one that really kind of captured my attention. I'm yep. really interested. It's light, and it seems well built. Did so. you you did check it out? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I'm gonna check yeah. that one out today. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, just quick closers here, Matt. You are the Western rep for Pheasants Forever Quill Forever. If people have questions, want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, it's first initial last name at pheasantsforever.org. All right. We'll throw some links in the show notes. Zach, people want to learn more about CZ shotguns, ask Absolutely. questions, get into yeah, nice Yeah, find us on social media. Yep. So at CZUSA Firearms, uh, if you're on the uh, hunting side of it, which I imagine everybody listening is, um, at CZUSA Field Sports, um, Instagram, Facebook. So, But, yeah, we've got so much stuff. So, And and got a lot of people that are that – are, if we have one problem, it's we have too many bird hunters in the in the office because uh, we focus so much of our efforts and time on that. Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Nobody's around to answer questions <laughs> in the fall. Oh no, it gets really really bare there. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I'm really glad we the three of us got a chance to sit down and and have this chat. Thank you so much for joining us on the Project Dublin podcast, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Sounds good. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for listening, everybody. Quick reminder, the Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonubo Premium Performance Dog Food, Gumleaf USA, CZ USA, Turnbull Restoration, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget, you could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is leave us a rating. Leave the podcast a review in your podcast app, subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, or send us some feedback or guest suggestion. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.